0: It's great to see you, and uh, well done, Steve. I did great job. Don't you think it was a good, just a whole lot of truth that is incredibly necessary, and I love the way Steve presents truth, and uh, it's, it's disarming, but it's truth. And uh, listen, guys, we are on a journey together, and there's history, uh, but we are also excited about where we're going together, and, and I think we've got to get God's structure right, uh, rather than what we like, what we want I think the danger is we get good with what we're good at, <laughs> and it often gets in the way of what God's doing, and that's why we've got to keep coming back to the Word of God day in and day out, and that's our desire this weekend, is just to bring truth again from Scripture, not give you some great ideas and concepts and thoughts, just what is God saying, and what are we being called to as we go forward in what God has for us. So if you've got a Bible, I'm going to ask you please to go with me um, to Second Peter chapter 1, and those of you who are here on Thursday night with just the Hope Rocks leadership, forgive me for a moment as I read the same text I did then, but there's a reason for it, and uh, I, I do think this is one of the texts that God has really brought us back to, brought me back to, certainly Steve made reference to First Peter and Peter's letters, and notice how Peter got his name written, and I'm suddenly now stuck thinking about all those things that are irrelevant, but... But I, I do, you know, every, every scripture I believe, obviously all scriptures God breathed, Genesis to Revelation, even Leviticus, all right, everything in between, and uh, Mark brought a great truth from Revela- uh, Leviticus this morning, but, but I, I do want to say that um, yeah, it's all God breathed, and, and the greatest, I said the other night, the greatest threat, I think, to the Word of God today is not those who directly oppose it. But it's more those who claim to believe it but are ignorant to what it actually says. And I think we as Christians or leaders even at times can be so ignorant when you listen to what's been said and preached. It's almost like they're not reading the Bible. And maybe it's because they're not. (laughs) And maybe our sessions are all about some concepts and thoughts and ideas. And I mean, we love that. And then we wonder when the shaking happens why everything falls away. And so I do believe we've got to keep coming back to these truths, and it would seem like Peter understood in his writing. And I know it's God breathed and inspired by God, but it was like he was writing almost to us today. When you go read First and Second Peter, go read those texts again, and just let those letters speak to you. It's like it's handpicked for such a season we're living in right now in our great nation. There's such great truth in all Scripture. Go read First and Second Peter and see what it is God said through Peter that is so relevant for us today. But I I, I can say this before I just get to this, is that we must not build a theology out of bitterness or out of fear or out of experience, good or bad. We cannot build our theology out of fear, out of bitterness, out of experience, whether it be good or bad. That's not how we build theology. We come back to truth, the study of God, regardless of what we've gone through. What is God saying and what is God doing? And we must come back to that. Can I also say we should never build a theology out of a changing time that we're living in? Times are changing. How many of you know that? They're not the same. They're never going to be the same. And there's this continued changing that God's required and allowing, and things are changing. And just read the Bible, and you see things are going to get worse. But in darkness, light shines brighter. But it seems with all the progression of the world and where we go, Christians and churches begin to change Christianity to progress with the times. I'm just going to ask you to understand, Christianity does not progress with the times. If it does, if it did, it would be a false religion. Don't be deceived into thinking there's a progressive form of Christianity. It is creeping into the church, but it's not from God. It's not biblical. It's counter to Scripture. We don't need a redesigned Christianity to fit modern day life. And somehow we take this truth and we make it more palatable and more likable and we dress it up to be more attractive. And very quickly, His truth is no longer what we're presenting, but a truth, our truth. And whenever you mess with uh, the Word of God, whenever you mess with doctrines, you don't get a liberal Christianity. You get a polluted, perverted teaching that ultimately downplays the essential and the essence of the authority of God, the supremacy of Christ, And ultimately, it is about man, no longer about God. I mean, the devil's desire is to get us to get our eyes off the supremacy of Jesus or the authority of the Godhead. And when that is gone, we get to run wild with what we want to do. And that comes from this thing of progressive christianity there's no such thing and we have got to stick to the truth this truth god's truth is always relevant always going to be relevant through every season even if we've never been this way before the bible says that jesus christ hebrews 13 verse 8 jesus christ is the same yesterday today and forevermore Meaning forever He is unchanging. So therefore, what He has said does not change. What we're being called to will not change. It's simply us adjusting to become more effective in the season God has for us. Are are you there, friends? So please don't buy into the culture that we've got to change what we believe to reach a culture. We change nothing except us being more like Jesus. Otherwise, we're no longer representing. And I think the church got herself into some trouble in a season of trying to be a little more progressive with Christianity. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. and The heading is there, Making One's Calling an Election Sure. It says, His divine power, verse 3, His divine power has given us everything we need. Now, everything must mean everything. <laughs> Not some things hold on to some things. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness uh, godliness, through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. Goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. We are called to make every effort to add to our faith these things. Are you listening, friends? We want strategies and we want concepts. We want good ideas. Peter writes and says, make every effort to add these things to your faith. Everything, make that effort, he says. Verse 8, for if you possess these qualities, again, you can't pass on what you don't possess. We have to possess. These things have to own us and we've got to own them, these truths. In an increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. Two most hated words, as I said, for me in the Scripture. I cannot, you can call me what you want, but don't call me ineffective or unproductive. It's the most irritating thing I can think of in my life and ministry. If it's uh, ineffective and unproductive, I don't want to be involved. In your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see that? Verse 9, but if anyone does not have them, he stroke she, not guys, all of us, he or she is nearsighted and blind, another offensive few words there, and has forgotten that he or she has been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. I mean, I, that, that is an important statement. That's something of what I want to speak about this morning in light of our call. That if you give your attention to these things and you give your focus to these things, you will never fall. How many of you never want to fall? And I'm not saying stumble, I'm saying fall, be taken out of the race. None of us want that. Well, he's saying, if you give your attention to these, make every effort to make sure your calling and election is sure, then you won't fall out, regardless of seasons, times, situations, people who come, people who go. You put your faith in the ministries and people in church, and yet all of it comes crashing down, but you will never fall. If you, put your, uh, your, you give your attention to these things and make sure you'll never fall. Verse 11, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus and Savior Christ. I said last night that there's been some pivots, some shifts. The church has had to pivot from one to another. And one of the greatest pivots of the season is we have been forced to move from position led and having a position and carrying a position to coming back to the call of God, knowing there's nothing else we can do. It's been a good thing for the church to come back to the call of God. Steve spoke a little bit about that. It's come through again. And I want to say to you this morning, you are all called. You might not be called to be an elder or a pastor or even part of the fivefold gifts or whatever, but every one of us have a calling. Called by God. Agreed. I hope you believe that. Otherwise, we're not going to live in the thing God has for us. And so the calling is essential. It means, that I love Eugene Peterson's version. He says, so friends, confirm God's invitation to you, His choice of you. He chose you. We didn't choose Him. We didn't pick Him. Don't pick Miko. He chose us. It means to be eager to do something. That's what Peter's talking about. It's implications of readiness, to expend energy and effort, to be eager, eagerness, devotion. Make sure that that, that which is known with certainty is what he's saying. Known to be true, certain, and verified. And the season we've gone through, I think God has verified and made certain that we are called. And that's a good thing for, for us going forward. Calling is, an urge, is urgently an invite for someone to accept responsibility for a particular task. Implying a new relationship to the one who does the calling, to call to, to, call to a task. This call, I want to suggest again this morning, is an urgent appeal from God Himself. We're not having a time together where we can throw some ideas together and hope we go out of here thinking we got better ideas. There's an urgent appeal from heaven for the church today, for you and I to come back to the things that God's doing, the things God's called us to, regardless of what the world's doing, regardless of the shakings and whatever else. We, God's saying, my call on you, what I've called you to, come back to it. It's urgent. There's a nowness about the hour. I trust you sense that. It's a big deal because it's a big and important job to God. Even if it's that thing, like Steve said, invisible or visible, whether people see it or not, it's important because God gave it to you. Make sure you're being faithful in it. We need people to live in the call God has for them. It's an invitation to accept responsibility for a particular task, it comes with authority and responsibility. God gives us authority in this kingdom. He really does. All of us carry His authority, but with that authority comes responsibility. And many love the authority, but they don't recognize we've been given His responsibility. It's an invitation that implies a new relationship to the one calling us. We talked a little about that last night. There's this fresh relation, new, come to me. Right through Scripture, it's come to me and then go from me. And many of us want to go from Him without coming to Him. And Jesus always called people to Him and then sent them out. And that's how we've got to be living in this place. So, so last night we talked about shifting our position as a friend and connecting and intimate with Him. But also we need to go and live in the things God's called us to live in. I hope that excites you because we're all in this. Now, I grew up in the church and I, I've grown up in very traditional church. And then my dad fought systems, fought culture, fought denominations to come back to Scripture. And i praise God for a man who was serious about the Word of God. And then in reading the Word of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, when he was taught that the Holy Spirit is not really relevant today. The binatarian God, although we kind of, God in three persons, kind of believe that. Not sure how it all works, and neither do I. But most people today, I read a statistic that in 2021, September 2021, of 2,000 U.S. born-again believers... Done from the Arizona Christian University, did a tooth interview 2,000 Christians across America, and the, the majority, 15%, believe they have a biblical worldview. The rest of them reject most of the teaching in Scripture, including the existence of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to just say to you this morning if the Holy Spirit was a blessing from God, then you have the, the right to reject the blessing. But unfortunately for us, He's not a blessing. He is God. Amen. We don't have the right to reject Him. He's God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. People say, well, how do you explain that? Well, I happen to be a father, a son, and a husband. Same person. We don't have three gods. One God, three responsibilities, three different three parts of the godhead i don't know how to explain it but i'm the same person so we're not like some of these jehovah Witnesses. i'm not mocking i'm just speaking out there they believe in three gods we don't we believe in one god three persons and they are equal not ones higher. steve did a good job just explaining a little bit of that today equal different roles different functions equal worthy of praise worthy to be god and the holy spirit is not an optional extra for deluxe christians for us weirdos who want to be weird about some spiritual dynamic, He's God. Second Corinthians 3, 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, is freedom. And we all quote that, but that's not what it's saying. It doesn't say where the Spirit is, there's freedom. It's saying now the Lord is the Spirit. In other words, where you and I surrender to the Spirit as Lord, that's where we find freedom. The Spirit is here right now. Would you agree? He came, I mean, Pentecost happened, just so you know. And if you don't believe that, you can't believe anything else in Scripture. And although we're not comfortable with it, Pentecost happened, friends. And Jesus promised them in Acts chapter 1, you will receive power. And then power came in Acts 2. While they were worshiping, the Holy Spirit reveals, and He shows up. And seemed what seemed to be tongues on their heads, tongues of fire. Mm. And they all began to declare the praises of God in different languages. How many believe that happened? That's how the early church started. And somehow we theologians and churches decided we don't want that stuff because it's kind of not where we're at. It's a bit weird. We don't understand it. So we'd rather believe in a Trinitarian God, but we'll live with a Bionitarian lifestyle. God the Father, God the Son, Spirit stuff. Not comfortable. You wait over there. So much red tape we put on the Spirit because we think He's just a blessing rather than He's God. We don't use the Holy Spirit. He uses us. We don't tell the Holy Spirit what to do. He tells us what to do. He's God. I'm just throwing that out there, and I'll leave that out there. What will you do with God, the Holy Spirit? What will we do? Well, we better get Him back in the church, because half the problem in the church today is we've got way too much flesh and not enough spirit. We're doing things in our own strength and wonder why God's not in it, because we're not allowing Spirit, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to take control of His church. You agree? And they all play equal role, even in our salvation. God planned some things for us. Jesus purchased things for us. And the Spirit personalizes the things Jesus purchased for us in our lives. He is in us. Not Christ is not in me. Christ is in heaven right now, according to the Bible. Seated at the right end of the majesty of heaven. Ruling and reigning is where Jesus is. Interceding on our behalf. Jesus not on this planet anymore. He's in heaven, finished His earthly mission, waiting to come back for us. It's the spirit in us. and Steve said that that Jesus said, I'm sending another, not a replacement, another counselor. Not to take my place, not to be above me. Another one to comfort and be with you as I go there and intercede on your behalf. Anyway, I don't know. That's not what I came to say. So let's move on. But seriously, friends, we got to fix the statistics of American church. Meaning we've got to come back to the things we're uncomfortable with. But if they're in the Bible, so be it. Amen. My dad was taught, and I've said, some of you know the testimony of my, he was taught that speaking in tongues, maybe I'm losing you right now, but speaking in tongues is not just weird, not just crazy. You are going to hell if you speak in tongues. That's the denomination he was a part of. And so he believed that because that was the best he knew. But he chose to believe, read the Bible one day. As a pastor in some weird denomination, and I'm not mocking, I'm just telling you, with all the wonderful religious garb on his life, and he read the book of Acts, dangerous thing. And he saw something in there that he said, I long for what I see in the Bible. Why are we not seeing this here? And guess what happened? The Holy Spirit filled him. No one laid hands on him. No one taught him to say Suzuki and Honolulu and Hawaii and all. No tricks. No one was there. Just him and his word, trusting the Lord. Longing. And the Lord gave him what he longed for. And suddenly he began to declare in a different language. Being a man of integrity, he called his moderator and said, we need to catch up. The moderator came straight down to meet with him. He said, here's the problem. According to us as a denomination, according to us, I'm going to help. The moderator was, what are you talking about? He said, well, I was reading the Bible. The very thing you tell us we call to preach to our people. I was reading and I saw something in there that seems to be lacking, even actually discouraged and spoken against in our acts. But I saw it and I longed for what I saw and God gave me what I longed for and now I'm speaking in tongues. The moderator said, well, sir, here's the deal, Dudley. If you sign an agreement, just sign a form quickly now and let Pretend that it never happened and write that you'll never do this again. We can just move on and pretend it didn't happen. I mean, with all due respect, my dad said, sir, do you understand what I said? No, I didn't make anything happen. God did something. And what God has done, I ain't reversing. I want more of God, less of this religious duty that you put on us. No rebellion. No rebellion. I switched off. And suddenly he began to ask, and by the way, why am I wearing this dog collar? And why am I wearing this Batman and Robin outfit? And why am I not? Re- and why do I force people to call me reverend? Steve addressed that. You don't call people pastor and all that. Why do we put ourselves on pedestals? And he began to question the religious stuff that this denomination had put on him. And they said, sir, you're going to have to leave. He said, you're right. I'm out of here. Not judging their hearts, judging their understanding of man-made structure, calling it church and theology and calling it what God expects. Not from God. But when the Spirit fills you, your eyes get open to the nonsense. And suddenly we wake up and say, what is all this nonsense we're doing? That's why we need more Spirit in the church, to wake up to the nonsense of the church. And God's not playing anymore. It's like God's taken His church back. He wants His church back. And through COVID, He's got His church back. Now we need to be about His church, allowing the Spirit as God to lead and guide us, keeping us in step with Him. And just while I'm here, we can have infillings and refillings like we see. And Paul's, uh, Steve's talked about the Corinthian church. They had wild manifests, like a two-year-old with a shotgun. I love that description. They had manifestations, but Paul kept addressing, it's one thing to have these awesome manifestations, but your character, True, authentic presence and power makes us more like Jesus, not just gives us power to blow things up. And it's the very thing Paul warned for the Corinthian church ultimately was the thing that took down the Corinthian church. They had manifestations, but they were not being more like Jesus. And nowhere does the Holy Spirit just want to manifest Himself. He wants to create us to be better followers of Jesus, taking what Jesus purchased on the cross and making us more like Jesus. So we can't just want to be spirit-filled and then go do our own thing. Spirit-filled, spirit-moved, spirit-led, spirit-sent is what we see in the early church. That's the church Jesus is building. What will we do with God the Holy Spirit? Don't know how we got there, Steve. That was your fault. But there is this test on us. And and I want to just challenge us, if I can, for a little while this this morning and, and not get us to do more. Get us to stay the course. I've had the privilege and pain of being in ministry for many, many years. I'm still a young man compared to some of you, but I've been in ministry for quite some time, and I've seen a lot of things. I think the biggest pain for me, the the hurt, is to see not what people say about me and how they hurt me. People come, people go. It's part of ministry. It's been difficult. Some of my best friends have turned on me. It happens, and and I'm not here to. But what has hurt, pained me most is to see how many called of God men and women, young and old called by God, hand-picked by God with gifting and anointing and calling, the call of God, fall out of the race, bomb out, because things never went the way they thought they should go. And what I began to realize more and more from Scripture, that the call of God is one thing, but from calling to the full commissioning of the call, there is a huge gap. And most, if not many, will not... Hold the line in the gap. And there's a little word that I've come up with this thing of, from calling to commission, we need to stay consistent in that time. No, no, no one's going to amen. Well, a couple have just for a moment. But no one likes to amen consistency because it requires something from us. I'm not saying hold in your own strength. I'm saying last night, nothing can be done without Christ. So we've already established that. But I do want to say, don't blame Christ when you mess up. We love to blame Jesus. your fault. No, it's not His fault. It's our fault. And I want to tell you, there's this call, and God's reestablished the call. And I feel like we as a church now in our great nation are back on this track of what God's called us to. There is this call being reestablished. We've come back to what matters, the urgent appeal from God. And we're all beginning to say, yes, Lord, I want to go there again, Lord. I'm going to stay on there. You've brought us back to what matters. But because it doesn't happen today or tomorrow or the promise isn't fulfilled instantly, I'm concerned that more bodies will be splattered across Texas. Because we're not, not, I don't mean that bad. Let me, let me explain it. Your bodies, Christian bodies, people will be splattered all over because they've fallen out of the race because they couldn't stay consistent from call to commission. You now we, as Steve said, we were together in Southern California. I was just recently there ministering again in one of the churches, and whenever I go to I love California, I met my wife there. I'm married to California. I'm all about California, although we don't live there, and I'm glad <laughs> anyway, we've moved, but <laughs> I love old California, put it that way, and uh yeah, yeah, there you go <laughs> but but every time I go there, my heart breaks, because I meet and I see people that I used to connect with who are just yeah. they're there, they're not serving God. I mean, these guys should have outstripped me and outrun me by the calling of God on their life. They were with me, but they're no longer even around. They live. They're alive. They got jobs. They married, maybe married. I don't know. My heart breaks because that was not God's intention. You can choose that life, but that's not what God chose for us. That's not calling. And I look and say, what is it that went wrong? I think this one thing, consistency. Weren't willing to stay the course when things weren't happening the way they wanted it. And it's so easy for me to... See that and throw rocks. Any one of us can get there. And I'm begging of you after this message this morning, don't go there ever. You don't have to go there if you will stay the course. And and, and one of the go-tos for me would be just thinking about this, this man called David. David, King David. You know the story of David. And if we had time, we would unpack it. But go read the story of David in light of what I'm sharing this morning. Do yourself a favor to understand what I'm saying this morning. And you see something incredible, incredibly significant about David. Now, I want to just tell you, David was just a man, just so you know. Yeah, he, he wasn't Jesus. He wasn't a, pre, a representation of God. He was a man. <coughs> but the thing about David, it says that God said that David had a heart after God's own heart. He didn't have a good heart. He had God's heart. Yeah. And God chose him because of his heart. Because he had God's heart. But you know the story. And in 1 Samuel 16, if you know, before that, Israel wanted a king. And God said, well, I am your king. They said, yeah, but we want a king like everyone else that we get to see. So, so God didn't despise. Like people say, oh, God just gave them what they wanted. God's not that kind of God, please. But God did give them a king. But let me tell you that God chose Saul, not the people. Yeah, that's good. Saul means chosen by God. That's what his name means. And God looked and said, this will be the king of Israel. And so God chose Saul, and Saul became the king. Now let me ask you, how many of you believe God made a mistake choosing Saul? Please don't put your hand up, otherwise we've got to go through some theology this morning. But how many of you know that Saul messed up? Whose fault was that? Saul's, not God. God chose Saul Saul messed up after a couple of years into his leading. He began all the cracks of his character began to be shown. And then you know the story. and so eventually God chooses him, He messes it up, God rejects Saul. And God says, "I'm going to find someone else." Right? And so in 1 Samuel 16, God says to Samuel, "Go to Jesse's house and anoint one of Jesse's sons to be the king. How long will you mourn, Saul, since I have rejected him? Maybe in this season, some of us are mourning the loss of what's gone down. Yeah. How long will you mourn what was? God's rejected. It's time to move on. Yeah. We're so busy mourning what we've lost, we're missing what God's doing. How long will you mourn? Fill your horn and go and anoint one of, David's, uh, one of Jesse's sons. Now, you know the story. I mean, that was fearful. And Samuel's like, I can't do that. The elders there, they're going to... He said, go, I'm with you. So he goes then. The elders were shaking. Go read in 1 Samuel 16. The elders shook in fear because this man of God, this prophet had arrived in this city. And he said, tell me, take me to Jesse's house. He gets to Jesse's house. He says, Jesse, bring out your sons. One of your sons is the new king, going to be the new king of Israel. So Jesse being the good father, he brings out most of his sons. He said, what? Good dad, I guess. When you've got so many kids, you don't know what you have, I guess. So his sons are there. And Eliab, the first son. Now you've got to understand, tradition, first son should be the one who gets the rights. That's tradition. When Samuel, the man of God, saw Eliab walk through, he said, surely this is the man. He's the oldest and he looks the part. This is the prophet getting it wrong. He comes through, God says, not him. The next son, the next son. I mean, we go through a process here and none of the sons. Now, if it was me, I'd be like, pick one, flick a, toss a coin. One of you have to be it. But thank God, Samuel's like, hey, by the way, Jesse, do you have another kid somewhere here? Like, that's not here. Oh, yeah, you know what I do? I forgot. I do have one more son. Oh, by the way, he's taking care of the sheep. That's a good testimony. He's busy, not looking for position and promotion. He's getting on with what he's been called to do. Taking care of the sheep. Okay. And, is, and, and and what did he say? Bring him in. Yeah. They wait for him. He comes in. David's like, what the heck's all this about? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm supposed to be with the sheep. Now what do you? He walks in and God says, this is my man. Mm-hmm. Man looks at the outward appearance. Yeah. But I look at the heart. This is the anointed one. Yeah. So they had this great moment where David's now presented as to be the king, anointed by the man of God to be king. Unfortunately, there's another king who's still alive. Kind of two kings. There's a problem. Yeah, called, anointed. You are going to be the new king in front of his brothers, in front of his father, in front of Samuel. So God took David from David. God saw David. God wanted Samuel to see David. God wanted Jesse to see David. Jesse overlooked his own son and God. God wanted the brothers to see David. But note that when he was anointed as king in that moment, called by God to be the king, he was sent back to take care of the sheep. Now, come on, guys. If you were presented as the new king of Israel, you'd be like, listen, those sheep, one of my brothers get to do that now. (laughs) Uh, Hello, Come on, let's be honest. Don't see David doing that. David straight back to what he was doing. Right? Yep. Well, I didn't get put my hand up for that. I'm not called. Everything changes when I'm called. I've been renewed my calling now. It all changes. It's got to change now. I don't have to do the mundane stuff anymore. Mm. Somehow we think the moment David was commi- called, he became king. There's a whole process that God took him through. Okay. Yeah. Here's what I believe. If David wasn't faithful and consistent in the process, I don't believe God could have released him into the full commission of becoming the king. He would have been another statistic of missing the call that God had for him. So he goes from being anointed as king to back to being the shepherd boy. Then there's a war that breaks up. And there's apparently a war, but they're all screaming at each other. And there's a man called Goliath over there. Remember, so Jesse says, hey, take your brother's food. I mean, serve your brothers, even though you're the king. You're going to be their king, but take them food. I mean, it's easy. you see the interplay. Here. This is test. Somehow, when we catch, we recognize our call. We think everything's going to revolve around us. Yeah, <laughs> so he walks over there, and he's, hey, apparently there's a battle here, and he sees this uncircumcised Philistine called. Uh, he did say that. That's why I said that. But, and he says, like, who's this dude? What's he all about? And so he goes in there, and he says, hey. And the brothers are like, what are you doing here now? You can tell they got an issue. They're your baby brothers, now the king, and they're not happy. And Now he's questioning why they're not fighting. So he says, hey, I'll take out this guy. I'm not in my strength. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that defies the army of God? I'll, I'll sort him out. The brothers are like, calm down, dude. Like, you, you're not the king yet. Just, you know. And so then they get in there. And, and Saul's like, who are you? And then Saul's like, no, you can't do it. You know the story, guys. And he says, I, I fought the lion. I fought the bear. I can take him. Man. I, I've got testimony of God's goodness, protection. Yeah, yeah. I, I've got some stories that prove that God is faithful. And I don't know how I'll do it, but I'll do it. Yeah, that's good. They're like, okay, you go. But has the sword in here. Yeah, he's like, I can't do that. He goes, he takes out Goliath. Yeah. So now in Saul's eyes, he's now seeing David. He got jealous, as you know. But now Israel's army sees David take out this guy. God's got a process of his called one to walk through. So when he finally gets commissioned, people see it. Am I making sense? Then Saul's like, dude, I need a worship leader because I don't know how to worship. And so then they bring in David. Why? Because David was faithful where he was. God gave him opportunity to be recognized. They brought David in. David starts leading worship and doing it suddenly now can you imagine David could have said there going I'm the king. I'm the next king. Now I've got to be here and help this guy find God. Like I, I should just wipe him out and be king. But he doesn't. He faithfully serves. Right through. Go read the story. Then even at moments when Saul is out to get him, Saul gets jealous of him. Saul's starting to see everybody loves David and cheering David, and Saul gets jealous. And David has opportunity to take out Saul, knowing if I kill Saul, his men around him said, kill him and you'll be king. I'm telling you, friends, this is a challenge for leaders. That we want to make what God said happen without God making it happen. He could have very least said, let's take him out. He said, never, I will not do this. God gave me this. God has to do it. 15 to 20 years later, from when he was called and anointed to when he became the first, the king of the whole of Israel. Because then he went to, he said, okay, inquired of the Lord. The Lord said, go. Okay, well, let me say this. Saul dies. David did not rejoice. He said, thank God, now I can do this thing. Thank God, he's God. He wept, he lamented. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. What a good heart. Yeah. Then he says, all right, Lord, is it my time? And the Lord says, he said, thank God he inquired of the Lord. He didn't just take a position. What must I do? And the Lord said, go to, uh, 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 what's the, one, one twelfth of his inheritance. What's it called? I can't think of the name. No, no. Uh, anyway, one of the, just read those, Read it, I promise. I can't think of the name. Um, I'll look it up when I have time. Not to Texas, no. But he said, he inquired of the Lord, and the Lord said, Hebron, go to Hebron. So he went to Hebron. That's one twelfth of his inheritance. And God established him there. And then the mighty men that came, defected from Saul, joined. I mean, friends, God had a plan right through it all. But David had to stay faithful in it all for the plan of God to be fulfilled. And so many years later, David finally becomes the king. Now, again, I don't believe David would have become the king if David wasn't faithful in all those situations, if he wasn't consistent serving God in the way God had called him to. And I feel like the, even here today that there's many who've been called and reestablished. Amazing call. But I'm challenging us will you stay consistent so God can continue to use you to be what he called you to be? Or will you. Run from it or fall out of it because it's not take, it's taken different long or long, or you suddenly see yourself as something other than what God calls you to be. So, what are some of the tests that David faced? And I'm just going to throw them our way and then land us. Some tests we continue to face, and some tests that David faced. And I'm just going to because they're not one-off tests; they continued. How many of you believe there's more? Okay, put your hand up if you don't believe there's more. Thank you, because you're here, because there's more. How many believe God has more for you? Okay, thank you. He does. <laughs> there's always more, and I'm not saying about more, but it's always about the more and the greater and the finishing and the commitment. And so I, I want to just tell you, if you've had glory days pre-whatever you are today, the glory days are still to head. Amen. I believe that wholeheartedly. Not because not I feel it, because it's in the Bible. Yeah. God is about more, so there's more for all of us. So wherever you're at, you might feel you're in that place of commission right now. I'm telling you, there's more from God for you. But stay faithful in the now so you can be used by God into the future. And so some of the tests we face now and continue to face, and certainly David did, is number one, the focus test. Now, I know this is, uh, we know this. We don't know this because we're so busy being distracted. Here's what I've realized, is that the devil desires to destroy us. Don't be surprised when the attacks come. He desires to destroy us, but he's only been given the authority to distract us. So how does he destroy us? By distracting us. There's no tricks to this. We just got to be aware of this. And, and I honestly believe the focus test is the biggest challenge from us from call to full commission is we lose focus because it's taking too long, it's not happening, and we get thrown all these other options, and we take an easy option or a different option, and we miss the things that God's called us to. And I beg of us to come back to hearing God in the season. What have you called me? It means saying no to some things you get offered. Yeah. <laughs> So much, I said the other day, of today's lack is a result of an unfocused yesterday. I have a friend who grew up with me, and, and, my, him and my dad, were, his dad and my dad were in ministry together, and he was on part of the pastoral stuff, and, and him and I were friends, and we grew up, and he walked away from God for many, many years, this young friend, the friend of mine, and, and I've encountered him again, and I said to him, dude, what's happened? He said, you're not going to believe this. I'm back following Jesus. I said, tell me what happened and he said, I took a uh, a bunch of students to Israel. He was a teacher, and he said, I took them to Israel, not a Christian school, but we were on a trip to Israel. And I, he said, I was standing at my, um, on the one side of at Mount Nebo. I was standing one side of the Jordan River looking across to the promised land, and people, the kids asked me, what happened here? And he said, well, you know, Moses was promised this incredible inheritance, but he He wasn't able to walk in his inheritance because he lost it. And he suddenly realized in that moment, explaining what an idiot, forgive me, that Moses was. That he had an inheritance ahead of him, but he wasn't willing to walk, couldn't walk in it. That Joshua was going to take them across the Jordan into the promise. He said he had an absolute encounter with God at Mount Nebo, looking across, seeing the promised land. The Lord said, what about you? And in that moment, Mount Nebo got on his knees and he said, Lord, forgive me, I'm coming back to what matters. I want to say we in this room need continued Mount Nebo experiences. Otherwise, we get caught up in what was or caught up in what is, and we lose focus of what God's called us to. Don't let others derail your walk, please. They're going to come and go. Stick to your lane, run in your race. That's what the Hebrew writer says, run your race. A race marked out for you. And you don't put your faith in people and encourage them to come with you. But don't lose your Mount Nebo experience because of someone else's experience. I beg under God for us to stay the course. I love when Paul the apostle writes, and not a letter his name, but he writes in Ephesians chapter one, verse one and two. Paul's introduction, he says, Paul, an apostle by the will of God. To the saints in Ephesus. It's like he had settled something. Paul is my name. That's who I am. An apostle is what I do. By the will of God is my authority. I don't fight for it, I don't contend for it. I have to prove myself. What I do and who I am is not the same thing. Paul is who I am, an apostle is what I do. He settled that. The will of God, by the will of God is my authority, and to the church in Ephesus, that's my sphere. I don't have to arm wrestle and fight people and pretend and prove, prove. Just settle these things God's called you to and you'll be great leaders. We'll stay the course through all seasons if we're able to just settle who we are in Christ. Number one, focus tests. That's our big test right now. Coming out of COVID, the church getting busy with church stuff again. We're gonna miss the call of God for our lives. Secondly, the faithful test. See, David was faithful in all situations. And when he was unfaithful, I know the story of Bathsheba, I understand that, but he repented. And I want to tell you, he repented well. He did not excuse it. When he was called out by what happened with Bathsheba, you know the story. That Nathan came to him and said, there was this man who had nothing, and there was a man who had everything. And the man who had everything took what the only man had, only thing the one man had of nothing and made it him. And David said, That man needs to be killed. He should be destroyed. I'm going to kill that man. Nathan dared to say, You're the man. And he didn't say, I'm not. How dare do you know I'm the king? Do you know how much pressure there is on me being king? I, I, I need to be with other people's wives. Are you with me? Every excuse that we find today, you don't understand. He stopped and he said, You're right. And he didn't say, Oh, I'm sorry to you. I'm sorry to her. I'm sorry to the husband or the family. I am sorry to God. That's repentance. Not, oh, I got caught. Sorry, I got found out. You know what he said? Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me and cast me not away from your presence. I've sinned against God and man. God first, not man. God first. And he said, restore to me the joy of my salvation. He didn't need to get saved again. What he was saying is, restore the joy of salvation. You cannot live in the joy of salvation if you're living in sin. And he repented and he took full responsibility. And when that baby died, he re- wept. But then he mourned and, he spr- and then he got up and he led his people. Are you here, friends? Are you listening? It's, it's so essential. Faithfulness is essential. And if you do mess up, sort it out. And only you can. No one can do it for you. I've tried to help people through things who are not willing. I know people who are willing to confess and sort it out, and I know others who are not. And those who are willing to confess and sort it out are thriving back in the will of God. Others have walked away blaming God when they were not willing to take responsibility. I'm not throwing rocks saying, stay the course. <laughs> Faithfulness in all situations. What are some characteristics of faithfulness? Loyalty, commitment, endurance, steadfast, consistency. And I always hear people that when I ask, "What's the? give me some characteristics of faithfulness, but no one ever tells me what Jesus said faithfulness is. In Matthew 25, he said, uh, what's it? Yeah, Matthew 25, uh, yeah. Parable of the talents, remember the story? Yeah. He gave three people talents. One was one talent, two talents and five talents. He said, I'm leaving, I'm coming back. Go do something with it. They come back. He comes back. The one with five doubled. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've doubled what I gave you. Go for it. The one with two said, I had two. He didn't say, why did he give me five? He got five and I got two. I couldn't get over the facts. So I haven't done anything. He said, thank you for the two. I've doubled it. The, Lord's, the master said, well done, good and faithful. Good. The one with the one said, I knew that you were a hard man and I was afraid of you. You cannot serve Jesus being afraid of him can't multiply being afraid. And he said, you wicked and lazy servants. He gave back what he was given. We would think that's good today. Like, at least I got back what I gave. Because most of us lose what we give. I would say, that's faithful. You gave back to me what you give. In the kingdom, it's not. It's wicked and lazy. Multiplication is a sign from Jesus, for Jesus, of faithfulness. How are we doing? It's incredible how God speaks so. Jesus spoke so much about faithfulness in the kingdom. Kingdom is about faithfulness. We don't like that word today because it's like, uh, it's a bit like committed and that's the kingdom. Jesus' teaching on kingdom was mostly about faithfulness. We all want the more. We all put our hand up and said there's more. God said there's more. But can God give more to us who are unfaithful? Taking care of the sheep when no one's seeing it. Are we doing it so people see it, or are we just doing it because we're faithful? God looks for faithful. (laughs) Yeah, okay, we'll move on. David was faithful right through. Faithful in serving, not being served. There's somehow we want to be served all the time. Get back to serving others. David served. Faithful in submitting. Can I just say, I know another word Americans don't like. We don't want to submit. We are independent. We do our own thing. And I get it, but not in the kingdom. God's not going to give you authority if you're not under authority. David knew how to submit. He came under authority. God entrusted him to be the king of Israel because he lived under authority. Surrendering to his time. That's our big challenge in being faithful. We keep saying, and it's become a cliche, but it's true. God's delays are not God's denials. That call that he gave you is still in the works. And because it's taking longer than you thought, doesn't mean God's denied it. God's still working it. But are you working with God so you can live in that? Timing takes people out. I talk to those who've fallen out. My friends, I say, what happened? It just didn't happen like I thought. It took too long, Tyron. I'm like, this is your whole life. It's forever. Stay the course. Psalm 13, I love David's heart. How long, O Lord? Don't tell me you can't go to God and cry out. He did. How long, O oh Lord? And I've had a lot of the how long, oh Lords? But he goes on and he says, but you've been good to me. We've got to live in the both. If you only live in how long, you're going to fall out of the race. If you're going to only live in the, you've been good to me, you're never going to walk in them all. We've got to tension. How long? But you've been good. How long? But you've been good. And I'm telling you, friends, we've got to surrender to the timings of God. That is what it means to be faithful. Here's some phrases taken from various verses that I've put together for me because I've had to learn some lessons on how to wait. Certainly not going to tell you I've learned them. I'm learning them. They've given me a great encouragement. And when you wonder what God's doing or why He's not answering your prayers, these commands from Scripture will bolster you with comfort and hope. Wait in expectation. Psalm 27 verse 14. Be strong. Psalm 27. 27, 14, take heart. Psalm twenty seven fourteen. trust, Proverbs 3, 5. Don't rely on your own understanding, Proverbs 3, 5. Acknowledge Him. I don't think we do that in our waiting. Don't be afraid, Psalm 27, verse 3. Be still, Psalm 37, verse 7. Be diligent, Proverbs 21, 5. Lay requests before Him, not... Put it out there that you're looking for something. Speak to Him. Delight in Him, Psalm 34, 4, Psalm 37.4. Commit your plans to the Lord, Proverbs 16.3. This is a big one. Don't wear yourself out. Proverbs 23, verse 4. Are you there? Friends, we're all in the waiting. We all live in the waiting. Things we're waiting, but don't blow out in the waiting. Because God's in the waiting as much as He is in the releasing. And we've got to see God in this again. Otherwise, more splattered lives and ministries and calling all across our great nation again. Number three, faith test. The faith test. Simple truths. I get that. I'm, I'm begging that we'll take these and look. How are we doing in these things? When you want to quit, when you want to give up, when you want to stop, it's not happening. What about faith? Man, faith is essential. The Bible says in Hebrews 6 that without faith, it's impossible to please God. We can do all this stuff in presumption or because we have to with no faith. It doesn't please God. What pleases Him is faith. Do you still have faith for the things He's spoken and the commission that's coming by the call or have you given up hope, given up faith and just began to settle for the next thing? See, fear rises in the absence of faith. and There is fear that's gripped the church today in this great nation. I understand it. But it's because faith is absent. Expansion follows expectation. Faith is more than just bare belief, my friends. If you read Hebrews 11, what a great text to keep going back to. You see that faith is actually a verb. It's a doing word. Even in the waiting, we get to do stuff. Someone's just actively waiting. No, no. Faith does stuff. We see that in Scripture right through. Faith understands. It says in he, uh, Hebrews 11, th- verse 3. By faith, we understand that God's universe was formed by God's command. Faith opens up understanding. Faith offers. He offers things. Faith. But it says in verse 4. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain. By faith. True faith will lead you to make sacrifices to keep denying yourself and costly commitment to the things that matter for God. It's only faith. can't be do this and do that and leaders tell us. No, no. Faith. Still got faith, faith builds. Noah built the ark by faith. I mean, I've often thought about Noah building an ark. I mean, listen, it makes a little more sense because you got a great lake apparently down the road, but and you have it's a great lake, it's really. But I mean, it makes more sense an ark to us. But in these days, Bible days, there was no water, it was desert, and they were building an ark. They didn't even know what it was, they just were building something that God told them about. And then people would come in, even their family say, Hey. What are you doing, dude? I'm building an ark. What's an ark? An ark's a boat. What's a boat? It's a boat that floats in water. What's water? Like uh, in faith, we'll build something because I was told to. That he was mocked, scoffed, laughed at even by his own family. But thank God he built the ark in faith because we would not be here today if he didn't. Do you see that? It's being faithful in it even when you can understand it. And God will continue to use people who live in faith. Faith builds. It initiates projects that bless others, not us. God uses us to impact others. Faith obeys. Abraham obeyed. Going not knowing where he's supposed to go. Just went in faith. Faith longs. They were longing for a better country. Faith blesses. Faith leaves a legacy, friends. You want to have a legacy? Live by faith. Lead by faith. Live by faith. Stay faithful in faith. Faith worships. I love that picture in verse 21. It says, "By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each other, each of Joseph's sons, and worshipped as he leaned on top of his staff. It's like this old man on his leaning on his staff, and he worships. He chooses in all to worship. What got him there? Faith. That's what we need as we go forward. Number four, quickly, the future test. Are you OK? We're nearly done. The future test. Somehow we get so caught up in the now that we neglect the future. And I understand we have to live in the now. I understand we've got to operate in the now. But are we operating with what God said or are we settling in what is now? David could just have become that warrior guy or he could have just become, he could, whatever they wanted him to be, he could have become. But he served faithfully in what they wanted, but he knew what he was called. Are you there? so you might have settled in what people want you to be or what's been handed to you and saying, well, this is it. I'm telling you this morning, God says that's not it. It's the stepping into wards, but you've got to stick to the future focus of what we've been called to. There's this unholy restlessness, I believe, in the church today. And because we're an apostolic people, we talk about going and sending, people love it because we can be, we can be restless everywhere. But there's a good restlessness and an unholy restlessness. And if we're living with unholy restlessness, we'll never be in the commission of God. God doesn't bless people who want to keep leaving. God doesn't use people who want to keep leaving because they're irritated. And they're not getting recognized. God looks for people who will stay where He told them to stay. And do what He told them to do. Even if they're bigger and more capacity and should be given more. In God's economy, faithful with that, I'll give you more. I've got people everywhere I go who tell me I should be on your team. And I'm like, that's great. Did God tell you that or did I? And I appreciate their front-footedness, but don't promote your ministry. How about God promotes you in the timings God has for you? Then you will function in what God has. Don't lose your way. Don't settle. But know that there are seasons and times, and if you're faithful with something, God will give. But there's this unholy restlessness. And I I wish the youth were here, because they're also unholy in their restlessness. And they all want to go, and there's a bigger church and a better church, and I get offered a position, and I don't get recognized in this church, but that church. And we're up and going, and we're creating this Constant restlessness and wonder why God can't commission them because they're running after something rather than running after Him. Yeah. My, my two of my sons are over there ministering right now, so I can tell they they get offered wherever they go, position in the churches, and everything in me wants them to go because in the church they're in, they hardly get any position. But they've got to settle. What has God said and is the time up where they're at? not is the opportunity up, is the time up. I'm in the church that I planted. We talked about this the other night. It's not easy being in a church that you planted. It's really not. I mean, they're doing a great job, Jeremy yeah, Okay, but I'll just move on. But I'm just telling you. But and then every day I think I should just go plant another church. I can honestly do a better job than the dude who's taken over with all just in my these guys are just messing. I'm just gonna go and do it next door. Like I got it. I can. I know. Or everywhere I go, people say, we need more churches. Come join our church. And I'm like, Jesus I think I should. And then, then the Lord says, yeah, but is your season over? Well, what determines that? Me, not what you give. Because I want to finish every season right so God can give me to the full commission of mine. So it's not where you're best suited and where people recognize. It's where has God put you? Don't let this unholy restlessness be the thing that moves you. Keep moving, missing what God does for you. You there? Yeah. Number five, fight your battles and win test. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry, I'm just sticking with F's. But fight your battles and win. It's one thing to fight battles, nothing to win them. David, lion, bear. He beat the lion and he beat the bear. He couldn't say, gee, I took on a lion and took me out. I took a bear, but I'll try a Goliath. Are you with me? You've got some battles. Everyone in this room has called to fight some fights. Hmm. It's your fight. You can't get others to fight it for you. And that's the hardest thing as a leader is to not fight someone else's battle for them and think, why are you getting hurt? And it's because it's not your battle. We all have them. Would you agree? We all have fights. We all have lions and bears. We've all got some Goliaths to face. And we are called to fight our battles in our seasons and win them. So the next battle, we're living in victory rather than we're trying to fight all the enemies. Am I making sense? You know what? you got lions, you got bears. There's some Goliaths we've got to take down. You've got to take them out. With God's help, absolutely. But it's your fight. And I, I love, I don't like camping at all. Like staying in a holiday, it's like staying in La Quinta is like camping for me, just so you know. But, I, you know, if we put out a fire there, we can all sit there with marshmallows. We need some campfire stories of victory again. Yeah, that's good. We need to talk about some of the lions and the tiger and whatever else you've taken out. And in the spiritual arena, those things stir us to stay true to the future. Are you with me? Rather than all the defeats, let's talk some of the victories. Stop looking at people who've got great ministries and wonder who's, forgive me for saying this, but did they have to kiss to get that position? Yeah. How about whose? how many Goliaths or have they had to take out to get to where they are? There are some people who've got some experience. What Goliaths, what lions, what t- have you taken, have you had to fight to get to where you are? I want to learn, I want to celebrate some of the victory stories. Who, what did you have to take down in order to live in? Somehow they must have paid their way. They must have schemed their way. They must be born into this. No one's born into anything in the kingdom. We've got some stories to tell, my dear friends. Fight your battles and win them. Amen. David had to take them out, sometimes on his own. No one saw him take out the bear and the lion. He did it with God's help. And so he knew it's that that will help him take out Goliath. Yeah. Let me just say about battles, they're intimidating. They're lonely. Your Goliaths are your Goliaths. They're memorable. We need some memories, as I said. What giants have you had to slay? Ask people. Number six, quickly, fruitful. Be fruitful. Don't wait to be commissioned to be fruitful. Be fruitful wherever you are. David flourished wherever he was. I think some of us are waiting for the commission to get on with. Now we can flourish. God says flourish in any season. Don't wait for commission. Be fruitful wherever you are. That's how God can promote you. God promotes, not man. Just know that. If you're doing stuff for man to see, God will never promote you until you realize only God does it. Promotion doesn't come from the east or the west. Somehow we think, I'm going to show the guys I do. I want to do this in front of them. And again, our hearts are, I think, bad eventually. But initially, we just want recognition. Don't try please a man or a woman or a church. God looks at your heart. He'll know. He will use you. He'll promote you in the timing that is right. Number seven, quickly, f- be fathered. I hate the word, but it's an F. Fathered or mothered or something. Be humble enough to learn, friends. It's amazing how the longer we are serving God and the more we call, the less we want to learn. We like, I've been around. I've been saved many years. I've done this. I've planted this many churches. I, 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 I know everything. Well, right there, you're sidelined from being in the commission of God. Find people who can speak into your life, who will speak truth, who will say things that are needed to be said. It's not for them, it's for you. you know, I, 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 I'll just lay it out there for a minute. I was, when I was called into ministry, I had huge opportunity instantly. God opened doors and I got to preach the gospel. I saw things begin to happen. And I'm just going to be honest, I was a young man and I got opportunities. And God did stuff when I was pre- And I was like, wow, this is all. And I began to think I was Something. It's hard to believe now that I could think I was anything. But I, I saw results. I saw people getting saved. I saw people getting healed. I saw de- the, the spiritual stuff, demonstration of power as I preacher. I, I was getting invited to big churches. And listen, for a young man, I was like, gee, I've actually got something to say. And thank God, one day my mother <laughs> decided to come to one of the meetings I was preaching in. And again, pfft, Thunderbolts, lightnings, God doing His thing. I'm doing my thing together. We are having fun. I'm preaching. And after, I saw my mother sitting through the meeting, and she was disturbed. And I was like, what's wrong with her? You know. Anyway, go for the show. And, and she walked up to me after the meeting with tears in her eyes. I thought, gee, the Holy Spirit's really got a hold of her this morning. <laughs> she looked at me and she said, Tyron, I'm concerned that you've become arrogant in the pulpit. Uh, let me tell you, you know, if you anyone knows how to, anyone ever preached, when you get out of the pulpit, you are vulnerable. But when your mother, after such a great meeting, tells you you are arrogant in the pulpit, it's, I was devastated. And I was angry, and I reacted to her saying, what are you talking about? But when she said that, I knew in my heart she's right. I went to my home that night and I got on my knees and I got on, I wept like a baby saying, Lord, what have I become? And I honestly had to repent. And almost I said to the Lord, if you've called me, not, I, I, if you don't want me to preach anymore, I won't. I'd rather be your son than be there. And I want to tell you, that was almost 30 years ago. I hear those words to this day every time I preach. I believe my mother, by the grace of God, saved my ministry. Because she was willing to speak into my life. I don't go tell all your preachers every time they preach that they're arrogant. That's not the point. (laughs) But I want to tell you, ask questions, be teachable, be humble enough to listen. That will help us stay the course and live in the... Number eight, be a follower. Can I just say, we love to lead. Everything's about leadership. There's not many books written about followership except the bible. Everyone wants to read books on leadership and talk about leadership and I get it because we are about leadership. We need more leaders. But let me tell you if you don't know how to follow you cannot lead. And we need to teach on followership not just leadership because if you're going to stay the course and live in the bigness you've got to be a follower not just a leader and good followers make good leaders. Somehow we think there's a difference. You're a follower, I'm a leader so I'm the dude. No, no. Follow. Follow Christ. Follow people. Be connected to people. It's interesting how when God spoke about Elijah, Elisha taking on from Elijah, Elijah goes and finds Elisha. And he says to him, leave everything. Elisha burns everything and gives everything away. He closed the door. There's no going back. And he set out to follow Elijah. He didn't say, I'm the new dude, step aside, here I am. Yeah, he followed and he was uh, uh, Elijah's attendant. Don't hear about that anymore. It's not saying come serve me, it's come and follow before you want to be the leader. And we all want about leadership. Friend, I want to tell you, you want to be a good leader, you better be a good follower. And if you're going to lead people one day, you're going to inherit followers like you follow. I remember hearing that at an early age, and I was like, I'm going to be the best follower in the whole world, because I'm going to inherit followers like me. But I inherited some pretty bad followers too, just so. Number quickly, number, number nine, the flexibility test. I'm, I'm landing. I just, I'm not preaching anymore. I want to just say flexibility. Are you flexible? If you're not, that commission will never happen nothing, I can honestly say nothing has ever worked how I thought it would, not once. The things God spoke about my future, when I look back, they did not happen like I thought, not once. They happened, but they happened in a way I didn't expect. Thank God I wasn't sticking to my plan. I was flexible enough to say what it got. What about Joseph, the dream? He he has a dream. He tells his brothers, should never have done that. You are going to bow down to me. Mm, great dream. How about we sell you? Get rid of you. We're not bowing to you. You're the baby. We ain't bound. And he gets there. And then that was not the dream, right? The dream was you bowing to me. Gone. And then it's dungeons and dragons and all this stuff with a Potiphar's wife. She was a dragon. Sorry, I'm just saying all this bad stuff. Sorry, am I getting in trouble? And then one day, says he remembered the dream when his brothers came to bow before. Imagine if he had it all worked out, planned out. He would have he was in, in in dungeons and he was telling people the dreams they were all getting out he was staying there he was forgotten about but God never forgot and one day he remembered the dream when it happened don't get so set on how and plan your life that God can't be in your plan you'll miss what God has be a fellowship right relationships with God which we spoke about last night but I want to tell you connect with the right leaders around you people who will speak destiny into your life and find ways to help you get to where God has called you. Don't do this on your own. You're not called to. But do it with friends. Careful who your friends are. I just want to say, we got to love everybody but not befriend everyone. We keep saying this, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Be careful who you let into your inner circle. Forgive all the time, everywhere. I think it's probably one of the biggest things that take people out is that they don't know how to forgive. Leaders who hurt them, people who did this, even forgiving God. Some of us have got a thing about God because He didn't do what we said. I I just tell you, just forgive. Learn to forgive people all the time if you're going to live in the commission. Imagine how David had to forgive. People who hurt him, betrayed him, even Saul turned on him, and he forgave. Number 12, the financial test. I don't have a lot to say about that except C.S. Lewis said this prosperity knits a man to the world. He feels that he is finding his place in it, while really it is finding its place in him. Wow. Nothing wrong with wealth. Please hear me. We are not believers that you can't be, have wealth. Scripture does not teach that. But wealth should not be your folk, the king and the kingdom. And when we think we're finding our place in this world because of what we carry, this world is finding its place in us. We're no longer about the kingdom stuff. And I've watched, can I just be straight with you, business people here this morning? I've watched business guys come to me in the past and say, you know, Tyron, if I get this breakthrough, I'm going to invest it in the kingdom. If only would you stand with me. And we've stood together, fasted and prayed. And they got their breakthrough. We've never seen them again. Why? Because suddenly they're running with their dream rather than God gave it to them for the kingdom not pointing fingers, I'm just saying it's easy to say if God does this, I will do this. No, no, God can give you what He's giving you as long as you stick to what He's called you to, with or without wealth. Can't confess that this will's not your home if you're not willing to give Him the keys to your home. Yeah. Wow. Lastly, last one. This is probably the biggest. Be free to be you test the be free to be you test for too long we're putting on everyone else's armor for too long we're trying to be what others want us to be and we wonder why. i'm telling you friends i know people have been called with this incredible commission to come but have fallen out the race because they were putting on the armor of someone else trying to be someone else trying to be like someone else trying to be what others want them to be saul did that to david and said put on my armor and go down and fight this guy. And he tried, but it couldn't work. He couldn't even walk. Let alone go fight. And some of us are trying to walk out this calling into this commission with someone else's armor. And the danger for the generation that's meeting next door is we putting armors on them. In our desire to see them succeed, we're putting our stuff on them, and they're going under because they can't carry what we're carrying. They're carrying what they call called to carry. And they're going to come with their five lo- uh, five stones and two... Uh, uh, and they're, Yeah, the five loaves, I mean, the five stones in there. I mean, the slingers, yeah, you know what I'm saying. Whatever the Bible says, you know. And he took him out. They know. They've got their own battles. They've got their own armor. You've got your own armor. Take off the other armor. Please, today, take it off. Shake it off and don't put it on again. Otherwise, you will not walk in the commission. You can carry a call and you'll fall out of the race. But stay in the big picture, God.